So when he was walking back to his car after they had left the restaurant, he slipped and hit his head. Now, you know, this might not be a bad situation for all people, but he was on the blood thinner warfarin. So he really should have gone to the hospital immediately. And his friend supposedly told him to go to the hospital, but he refused. You're listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. It is time to give yourself permission to be vulnerable by sharing your story to empower, inspire, and support other women going through a life transformation. Vulnerability is brave. Your story matters. What's your story? This podcast is devoted bringing you motivation and inspiration from our community of like-minded people. Hello and welcome to the Story Podcast. This is your host, Dr. Christine Manukian. I'm a functional medicine practitioner, business coach, author, speaker, lifestyle entrepreneur, and a mama of two. In 2020, right before my 40th birthday, my life took a complete 180 when I realized I needed to leave my job as a clinical pharmacist and start my own business journey. I was tired of choosing between family and career. After experiencing my own health transformation, losing over 100 pounds and becoming a natural bodybuilding athlete with a six-pack and a marathon runner, I found my true calling, empowering others to reach their health goals without pharmaceuticals. Each week, I'll be bringing you incredible guests to help you feel empowered to live your best life. I believe everyone deserves a second chance to rewrite their story and become the best version of themselves. Together, let's end the stigma of being afraid to share our story. Are you with me? Here we go. Welcome back to the Story Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me another week and listening to all these incredible women I get to have conversations with. I am beyond grateful for all of my guests sharing their stories to empower, inspire, and support other women going through life transformation. I couldn't be more excited to introduce you to my dear friend and colleague, Dr. Lisa Zielbauer. She's also known as Dr. Z. As you can imagine, we have a funny and cute last name. We will always go shorten it out, so I can totally relate to that, Dr. Z. Well, she's a graduate of pharmacy school with a doctorate of pharmacy in 2013 from Midwest University in Illinois. And one of her life goals is to decrease the stigma of mental illness, particularly within the healthcare practitioner community. And I can relate so much to this one. And we are definitely going to spend a lot of time talking about this in our episode today. Dr. Z was diagnosed with a clinical depression and anxiety in high school. And a couple of months after graduating pharmacy school, she went into a very deep depression that required hospitalization due to her suicidal thoughts. After not finding any luck with finding a job as a clinical pharmacist, she was looking for other opportunities and she found herself volunteering at her local chapter of National Alliance on Mental Illness, 
also known as NAMI. And she started this career in 2017, shortly after she actually became certified as a NAMI DuPage peer counselor, and the year after she actually became a staff member in this community. She got her passion back for helping others as a clinician and practitioners, and also start, went back to school in School of Applied Functional Medicine. And shortly after starting her career in, in school, she opened her practice known as Root Cause Rx, where she meets with patients virtually to help them discover the root cause of their illness. Dr. Z hopes to specialize in supporting people with mental illness in the future, particularly those with depression and anxiety. And she credits her strong support network and her faith, along with her taking the time for her self-care and self-love, including walking with her dog, Lexi, and for her to be successful in her recovery journey. So Girlfriend, I am just so impressed with your transformation story, and I couldn't be so honored to interview you, especially as we're celebrating Mental Wellness, Health Wellness Month in May, and having you as my expert speaker during this time of the year when this is such a well-known, you know, there's still stigma out there as we're talking about it. So, well, welcome to the podcast. And I would love for you to even just start sharing about your journey as you know, growing up, you know, you say you were going through this life transformation, even in high school. Um, how was life look like? If you can share your story with us, just take us way back because there's always a story behind a story. And I want to give enough time for our listeners to hear your transformation and how you overcame that. Sure. Thank you so much for having me on the show. I'm excited. So I guess it started back in junior high, actually. Like my, I had a really happy childhood. We went on lots of vacations, you know, skiing, you know, to Florida on the beach. And I always felt loved by my parents, but I was one of those people that had like one really good best friend and then a bunch of acquaintances. So I would spend like every day, this best friend after school, you know, we would hang out. And in sixth grade, my best friend at the time decided that you know, I wasn't cool enough and she wanted to hang out with other people. So I guess in this day and age, you could call it ghosting. <laughs> you know, she kind of ghosted me. So that was the first time I can remember feeling sad. I can remember, you know, crying in my bedroom and not telling my parents, you know, I don't know why. I guess maybe I was ashamed. But you know, that's really the first time that, you know, I think I experienced depression. And then because of that rejection from my best friend, it completely changed my personality. You know, I was, I was never super outgoing, you know, I've, I've always been an introvert, you know, but I was definitely, you know, friendly and had friends. But after that, I became so shy, you know, to the point of almost being mute because I was so afraid of rejection. You know, I didn't know that at the time, but, you know, looking back, I think that's what happened. And to get an idea for how shy I was, in seventh grade, you know, every year at the end of the school year, we would get awards. And my award for that year was the Cat's Got Her Tongue Award, which, you know, I had to go up in front of everyone to accept. And that, you know, 
that just made me even more shameful of me being shy. So I absolutely hated being shy and I hated that part about me, you know, for a while. So, you know, I still was shy in high school and that's when my mom actually was diagnosed with bipolar disorder when I was a senior in high school and she had her first manic episode. If anyone's ever been around someone with bipolar and when they have their mania, it's like they're a completely different person. Like this person didn't act like my mom. You know, she was doing things that I would never think my mom would do. And she actually took my car at the time and went to, drove to Texas because she thought she was dying of cancer. But that wasn't actually the case. So that stress of that, because I went to Texas to try to bring her back. I don't remember how I got chosen or if I volunteered, but I was the one <laughs> that, you know, was around her the most during that time. So I got, you know, the brunt of it. And sorry, I just lost my train of thought. <laughs> no, it's just being around someone, like you said, like that goes through like multiple personalities, especially with bipolar too, and they're experiencing the mania and, you know, having that, who are you? Like, you don't even recognize your own mother at this point. I could have just imagined like how, like you're probably confused too, like what's going on. I don't know if you had, like you had, a, you know, you had enough knowledge or have you done enough like research to even understand this is what it is or what to expect. That's a good question. I don't think we knew at that time, actually, that she had bipolar because it wasn't until she was hospitalized after that that she got her diagnosis. She did have depression before that. And like so many that are diagnosed with bipolar, you know, they're put on an antidepressant and then that antidepressant actually sends them into mania. So that's actually what happened with my mom. So yeah, I don't, think we knew that that was her diagnosis at the time. So yeah, it was very chaotic, very confusing. You know, we didn't really know what was going on. So after that stress, you know, I had a lot of anger towards my mom, actually for things she did while she was manic. And at the time, you know, I didn't understand that it wasn't her and it was actually her illness, you know, that made those decisions. So I was angry for a long time and, you know, that summer after high school, before college is when I got diagnosed, you know, with depression and anxiety. But like I said, I think it started back in sixth grade with, you know, my best friend at the time. Do you remember the process you went through of having that official diagnosis and also like the moments like when you hear those words and you're like, okay, this is what's happening. Like, do you remember that conversation with the doctor and like officially having, you know, the diagnosis? Well, in that regard, I was actually lucky that my mom also had mental illness because she had gone through the whole process already. You know, a lot of people don't have that. So it can be very confusing. So my mom actually took me to her psychiatrist, who was like one of the top psychiatrists for women at the University of Illinois in Chicago. And 
like I, I knew something was wrong with me. So I guess it didn't come as a surprise to hear the diagnosis. I was actually relieved because I was like, okay, you know, this is what's wrong with me. And then at the time I thought, you know, if I take the medication and see my psychiatrist and see a therapist that, you know, everything would be okay. Unfortunately, that's not how it turned out. And that's not usually how it turns out for most people. So, you know, I had it throughout college. I had to take semesters off at times because I was depressed. So it really affected that. If I was working, and I would get depressed and I would quit my job. So it's a lot of missed opportunities and delays, like so many delays that it made me feel like I was so behind in life. Whereas my, you know, friends were you know, graduating college and moving on with their lives and getting jobs, you know, I was still in school. So once I got into pharmacy school, I made it through that okay. It did take me longer than the usual four years to graduate because I did have to take time off again because of my depression. And so after I graduated was when I fell into my worst depression ever to the point where, you know, I had to be hospitalized because I was having suicidal thoughts. You know, I just thought that, you know, there was no point in living anymore. Like each day was such a chore that yeah. I just didn't want to go through anymore. And I can remember sitting in my car in the psychiatrist's parking lot of his office and debating, should I go in and tell him? Should I keep on doing this? And then I was like, okay, I need, I need help. I need something else. This isn't working. So, you know, I went in and told him. And then they, you know, called an ambulance to come get me and drive me like a mile to the hospital. I probably could have driven myself, but <laughs> that was the procedure. I don't know if I'm supposed to pause to like have you asked questions or not? No, you're you're perfectly fine. And I didn't want to like interrupt you because these are moments that also like define your next steps and also understanding that you need help, which was a huge decision making point because a lot of people go through it without asking for the help. Because again, whether they're ashamed of telling other people or they just don't think like they need help, they can figure it out alone. But the fact that you made that decision and you got the help that you needed, you know, says a lot that you have that power within you to actually push through those dark days and find, you know, overcome those fears of like, okay, this is, this is not what I'm going to be living my rest of my life as, but I can take this opportunity and become better and feel better. So I can now help other people to feel better too, as a clinician yourself. But Lisa, do you remember like as you're going through your, you know, darkest days, especially in pharmacy school, which is already stressful enough to go through the school, you know, the mental and physical stress, it, the pressure, you know, the expectation, like, did you have a support system that was there to help you and guide you? Or were you just trying to do this all by yourself? Like who was around you just so you can even like just talk to, you know what I mean? Other than your 
psychiatrists and stuff? Well, I was living with my dad at the time, but to be honest, he didn't really understand mental illness, so I couldn't really talk to him about it. You know, I did, I was seeing a therapist regularly, so that, I would say that was my biggest supporter, other than my mom, was also a really big support to me. You know, and I had, you know, my best friend at the time, and, you know, other friends, but I didn't have, like I said, I thought I could take the medicine, do what they told me, and, you know, be healed, but that is not what happened, so... I actually didn't find my support system till later on in my recovery. So after I was hospitalized, I was there for a week. And I honestly think the thing that helped the most was just the change of environment, you know, because I had been in my bed 24-7, laying there, feeling like I shouldn't be living anymore. And to be in a hospital, to be around other people, to have to shower, <laughs> you know, those are things that I didn't do when I was by myself. So I think just those that environment change really helped me. And then I came back home to live with my dad after that. And then about a month, exactly almost a month after I got released, my dad was out for dinner with a friend and it was January. So it was a really icy, one of those really icy days. I know you, you don't experience that in California, but here in Chicago, we have that. So in Ohio for two years, so I've seen that. <laughs> Two years in Ohio was plenty of experience. I'm like, nope, that's it. I'm, it's not for me. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. I hear it in Illinois. Mm -hmm. So when he was walking back to his car after they had left the restaurant, he slipped and hit his head. Now, you know, this might not be a bad situation for all people, but he was on the blood thinner warfarin. So he really should have gone to the hospital immediately. And his friend supposedly told him to go to the hospital, but he refused. So he actually drove home. And then I was at my boyfriend's at the time and he called me and I remember him saying, you know, Lisa, can you just come home? I'm not, you know, I'm not feeling well. Actually, I don't even know if he said, I'm not feeling well. He might've just said, can you just come home? And from that, I just knew something was wrong because you know, he normally wouldn't call me and just ask me to come home out of the blue. So you know, I went home, he had been vomiting. I gave him you know, a bucket you know, to throw up in. I know he said his head was pounding, I, I think I gave him a Tylenol and then I told him I would check on him in like 15 minutes. So, you know, I was in my room with my boyfriend at home. And then when I went to go check on him, I think he said like one sentence 
and then he kind of just drifted off and he became unconscious. And that's when I told my boyfriend to call, you know, 911. I remember my dog at the time, like licking him, you know, trying to make him wake up. But ultimately, you know, he had a brain bleed mm -hmm. and we had to let him go after two days because, you know, he wasn't coming back. So that really, you know, affected me. He had been my roommate for the past nine years previous to that, just me and him. So, you know, going through that loss on top of the depression was tremendous. I basically was in like a depressive funk for the next five years. I, I think the first thing that got me like out of the house was my church calling me to check on me. One of the pastors actually called me and I told him, you know, what had happened with my dad and he suggested a grief group that was at my church. So um, I went to that. You know, it, it was good to be around other people that, you know, were going through or had gone through similar things. So that, I think that was like the first thing that really got me out of the house and back into society. However, I still wasn't really functioning. You know, I didn't have a job. I went on a few interviews like for retail pharmacists and I didn't get them. So that just made my confidence even lower. And this, this whole time, because of the stigma, I completely avoided my pharmacy friends and pharmacy school. I did not want to tell them that I wasn't working as a pharmacist because, you know, the first thing people ask you, pharmacist or not, when you haven't seen someone in a while is, hey, where are you working? So I just didn't want to go through that and tell people I wasn't working. So I had a lot of shame around that. Marissa, do you remember like when you're going to those interviews, like was it how like you were like, like responding back to them or like, I, I know they're not allowed to like ask anything like that, but I'm still kind of curious like in nowadays is like, what does that life look like? Someone who needs, is getting the help like you are, you know what I mean? You're being treated, you're being watched. But as an employee, you know, like how much are you able to, like, are you supposed to disclose like your health issues or like, like, like in your head of like, what do you feel like why they didn't offer you the job? Because you definitely have the skills. That's not the point. So do you feel like they were, you know, not giving you this opportunity to show that you are actually high functional? You can actually come to work and do what you're supposed to be doing. What do you feel like it was happening? I'm not sure why I didn't get it. I, I thought that I did pretty well on the interviews. I just, you know, think probably at the time that if they were to choose between me who graduated, you know, five years ago and someone that just graduated, they would probably pick the person that just graduated. You know, that's what you asked is a really good question because that's one of the reasons I didn't apply for jobs for so long, because I didn't know how to explain that gap, employment or schooling. You know, I didn't, I didn't want to be asked, you know, well, on your resume, it doesn't show anything for five years. What have you been doing, you know? And I think that, 
is hard for a lot of people. And I actually went out of order a bit. So before I had the interviews, you know, like I said, I wasn't really functioning. So my psychiatrist at the time suggested that I volunteer somewhere, you know, just to get myself back out there. So I'd always been interested in NAMI. I actually tried to get my mom to volunteer there before, but that didn't happen. So, you know, I applied for a receptionist volunteer position there and I got it. And being in that environment where every single person I met was so open about either their mental illness diagnosis or family member and super supportive. It was almost like I was on a different planet. Like I just never been somewhere like that. So that was really helpful and NAMI kind of became like a little family for me of my support network. And then at the same time, I started going to a small group of women at my church we would meet weekly. And I would say those relationships and the relationships I built at NAMI really propelled my recovery and were a big foundational step that I did not have before. I never knew was missing since I just thought, you know, I can pop these pills and see my psychiatrist and things will be all good. So, you know, once being involved with NAMI, I learned that when you have a mental illness, you have to work at it. You can't just take a pill and see your psychiatrist. You actually have to, you know, take some responsibility, put some work in it, work on your mental health, you know, figure out, you know, what do you look like when you're well? What do you look like when you're not well? What are some steps you can take in between there? You know, they have a class called Wellness Recovery Action Plan that I took a couple of times. They have workshops, support groups, and after a year or two of volunteering there, I took their peer counseling certification class because a peer counselor is someone with a diagnosis that's in recovery and is trained to help other people uh, work on their recovery and set goals and meet them. So doing that, you know, and helping other people that had diagnoses also was very rewarding. And, you know, you're helping someone else, but that person is also helping you because, you know, it, it's called peer counseling for a reason. They're, you know, your peer. So, you know, even though the person's coming to make the appointment with you, you still get a lot of value out of it. So I did that. Well, I'm actually still doing that to this day. Lisa, is this a national organization or is this just uh, specific in your state where you're at? It's national. So it's the National Alliance on Mental Illness or NAMI. They have, they have state chapters and then they have local chapters. So my chapter is called NAMI DuPage because I live in DuPage County. So it's for the county. So I'm lucky enough to live in, I believe our chapter is like the fifth largest in the nation. Mm. So, you know, it has a lot of support. So, and is it run by like volunteers primarily? And as someone who's 
going there as a member? Like, do you pay or like, how do you get involved? So they, they have staff that are paid, but most of our programs are free and they're funded through grants. You know, I don't know about other NAMIs, but we personally don't get any government support at all. So it's all funded by grants and donations. And we have, you know, tons of volunteers that help out as well. So, you know, the person that's coming, for example, for a peer counseling appointment is one of the things that we do charge for, but we have a sliding scale available. So, you know, we base that on the poverty guidelines. So if they either are not working, like I was not working, then I think it's like a dollar fifty for ongoing appointments right now. So we make it really affordable so that people can get the help that they need. Because I know that's a huge burden, you know, on top of, because, you know, seeing the psychiatrist and all the stuff, like it's not cheap. It, it does cost a lot of money, especially if you're not working and insurance. So knowing that there are programs like this and for everyone who needs help, just find the one in your you know, local area. And even if it's worth the drive to drive there to find the community, because I feel like just hearing your story, if it was not for the community, I don't think you would have been where you are now. Am I correct or? Yeah, I totally agree. Like being there was like a breath of fresh air that I needed so badly at the time. I didn't know it, but I didn't know that was missing from my life until I found it. And, you know, it, you know, could be a lifesaver. Like who knows what could have happened. I feel like it is a lifesaver for you. So just hearing your voice of, you know, how you say like you were, you felt like you're part of the community and nobody was judging you. Like you kind of found home. You don't have to explain anyone or justify how you're feeling or what you're doing. Like everyone gets you. And that's, there's a magic in that. And I think any community you find, when you find people like you, like when you find your tribe, hold on to them tight and love them hard because that those are your people. <laughs> and the fact that you were intentional, let's say, you know, didn't want to be close to your like pharmacy school friends or, you know, the school, like your best friends, let's say from school, because again, you, you had to find ways to justify what you're going through versus, you know, people look at you like, Hey, how can I help you? You know, and we live kind of in a society, like there's this little expectation, like you graduate school, you get a job, you do this, you get married, you have kids. It's just like, I'm like, who's like, who came up with that agenda? You know what I mean? And God forbid we do something differently. Like we feel bad and like, how am I going to justify what I'm doing? Or how I'm going to, like you were saying, like explain this five years of gap that you had, you know, like, why would you ever have to, why, why are we living in a society when you have to justify why you took five years off to take care of your health so you can be alive and functional and now helping other people to go through that. So hopefully we are stepping closer to a newer society when people are actually more open about it and talking about it, but I know we still have a lot of work to do. So yeah, we definitely have a lot of work to do. Yeah, and to go off of that, like you said, there is so much pressure in society. Like I felt it, like I said, I felt behind all my peers, all my friends were graduating, getting jobs, getting married, having kids, all these like big life events that you're 
society tells us you need to go through to feel whole, basically. And I didn't have those, you know? If I didn't have a mental illness, I would probably be married with kids right now. But because I did and it delayed things for me, I'm, you know, single with no kids. I just have my dog. <laughs> but that's okay, you know? That's okay. You know, that was really hard for me to get over because even my family, I felt, felt like kind of looked down on me for these delayed life events. So, like you said, finding other people that were my tribe and that understood things was so helpful in my recovery. Yeah. How was life like last year when all these things were in shutdown and things were virtual? Were you still able to get around in your community with NAMI or did you guys have to put that on pause? Like what happened during last year during all this massive lockdowns? Well, for me personally, since I've been in a good place for the last few years. So I actually enjoyed it because I didn't have to drive to work. But for NAMI, you know, we had to move everything to Zoom. You know, it was good, good and bad. Bad because not everyone likes Zoom. It's not in person. You know, you don't get that sense of community as much virtually versus in person. But the good news is we can actually help people that either didn't have transportation to get to us or are farther away. We have clients right now, you know, that are in Chicago and we're about, you know, 45 minutes away from there. So, but I know it's, it's been hard for a lot of people, especially if you're a people person, which <laughs> I'm an introvert, so I'm not, but, you know, I have friends that mental illness or not is, you know, difficult and challenging time. Yeah, I mean, I think there was like this little like a pivot, you know, we moved to a virtual space, like you're saying, but now you're actually able to bless a lot more lives and make it more convenient for people who would not have been part of the community. So um, it's just kind of like two way, you know, like it's good and bad, like you were saying, it's good for some, bad for some, but it, you know, you're able to actually broaden your scope of like, okay, we're able to reach more people and this way. Lisa, I want to actually hear from you. How did you find yourself, you know, stepping into the functional medicines, you know, way, how did you even hear about it? Where you thought about this, like let's say during your office visits, or how did you even like find about functional medicine and knowing there's a space for this, especially for, you know, depression, anxiety, like, you know, that's your passion. You want to help others who are going through the same life transformation as you did, but bringing them the functional medicine piece, which oftentimes is not looked at it as serious because the pills are stronger. We can really, you know, get rid of depression holistic way. Well, I, I will disagree. And I know you are too. And I know you're shaking your head. And that's why you got into this whole functional medicine space, knowing that there is a better outcomes you can do when you combine this, yes, with traditional medicine too, but also valuing there's a huge part that, you know, it can change your life if you bring in functional medicine on top of your traditional medicine, you know? I'll give you a little background because Growing up, my mom actually went back to school when I was in junior high to become a chiropractor. Mm. So, you know, we didn't have any prescription medications really. You know, I remember, you know, we had like aloe, lots of aloe plants. We would 
break off a piece and if we had a sunburn and there was aloe juice in the fridge. So, you know, we, not knowing it at the time, we grew up, you know, in that holistic lifestyle. So I'd always been interested in that. You know, my mom's retired now, but she practiced homeopathy for a while and she was really into nutrition. So I've always liked that piece and I didn't know how that fit in because when my mom was diagnosed, you know, she was a chiropractor. So I assumed that if there was a natural way that she would have done that. Yeah, exactly. So because of that, that's actually what got me interested in pharmacy school because of what my mom went through. And I was like, oh, well, you know, if she has to turn to medicine, like this is life-saving and I want to learn more about this. But then, you know, seeing myself and her and a lot of people I know through NAMI keep struggling with the medication. Like if it's just as easy as taking a pill, why do we have so much depression going on? So, you know, I don't, I think I first heard of functional medicine, you know, on a YouTube video. I'm not sure how it came up, but once I heard it, man, I was on board. (laughs) I was like, this is what I've been looking for. This is what I want to do. You know, so I kind of educated myself for, you know, nine months before I joined the School of Applied Functional Medicine, which were both students. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I I opened my practice through CauseRx after that because, you know, like I said, I do eventually want to specialize in helping people with mental illness because I think that's so important. And it's like psychiatrists aren't taught those things. You know, they're not taught anything about nutrition or how to actually de-prescribe a medication, you know. So I'm really excited about the future, the future of functional medicine and, you know, just that we can help so many people from a different angle that most people don't even know exists. Right. And that's the thing too, a lot, like you said, a lot of people don't even know this is exist, like this exists or those who have heard of it, they might have heard from like now, like a reliable resource, what this is. And they have this like idea, like it's not real. It's like this woo woo stuff. Like you should not be going to a functional medicine holistic practitioner. Like you should go see a real doctor. They're not real doctors. I mean, we still hear those words like in today's day and age, but I'm like, no, like you don't understand. Like there is a whole world out there. I mean, people have been practicing this for centuries. Like we're just kind of like getting started in this movement, especially as a pharmacist too, because, you know, surrounding ourselves with other pharmacists who are in the same journey together. Like, you know, we're in the same school together. We have other pharmacists who are like a part of different schools, but again, starting a movement that as a clinician, as a pharmacist, like you don't have to just say because you went to a pharmacy school, you only have to focus on pharmaceuticals. No, it's okay to have that passion inside you and that drive to learn something new, to learn something that you can combine with your skills and knowledge and experience with traditional medicine. And you are actually going to make a huge impact in the world. And I know, especially nowadays during this quarantining this whole year has been adding so much of mental health issues, especially our teenagers, especially the kiddos. 
and I know personal too, like my kids were like, you know, they're eight and 10 and they went through like a massive, like, like trauma too. Like all of a sudden we're like, we can't go anywhere. You can't hug anyone. I mean, there are kids they are supposed to like hug and touch and get dirty and live life. But all of a sudden we're like, nope, can't do that. Nope. Can't do that. It's, it took a lot of like time to kind of like get out of that funk. And I know we're slowly getting back to the norm, but I don't feel like there's always going to be a norm. <laughs> I feel like we're slowly adjusting to the new norm. And even sometimes now too, like I have to catch and tell them like, it's like, it's okay. It's not, you know, it's, it's still there. You know, COVID is not like it's going away. It's still there, but don't like, don't freak out that much. You know what I mean? just as simple as like, we're wearing a mask, for example, in the elevator and then God forbid, mine is all below. They're like, mommy, your mask is not like correct. And I'm like, it's okay, you guys. Like, it's okay. Like, you don't have to like, so be so uptight about it. You know what I mean? And I'm like, you're only eight and 10. Like you, like, I don't want to have that permanent, like not a damage, but put that like, you know, fear in them. Like, you know what I mean? Because you never know how those feelings are going to turn like as they get older. Because things that they happen to you, like a young, like you said, you experienced this at earlier age, but then it became more, you know, obvious in high school and later on, you know, pharmacy school and things like that. But it starts, you know, we should not forget about the other little ones that we have around us. So especially if you're a parent, if you're listening, you see something is not right. Don't just be like, oh, they just had a bad day. Oh, they're just, you know, their best friend said something mean to them. No, like take it serious, ask more questions and have that open communication. Like you said, like Lisa, you said like you would go to your room and cry, wouldn't tell your parents because you're probably just like ashamed of like saying that, that you're feeling that way. And you want to have that relationship with, you know, people around you so they feel comfortable telling you what's wrong so they can get help as early as possible. Would that something like you would agree or do you feel like I'm like living a different world of, you know, what my opinion is? What do you think, my love? No, I, I totally agree. You know, most people with mental illness, they have some kind of traumatic event in their childhood. You know, looking back, I was always like, why did I get depressed? I didn't have any traumatic events. I had a good childhood. But it's what I didn't know is it's different for everyone. For me, it was that rejection from my best friend. You know, I, I downplayed it because I'm like, you know, I, I wasn't physically or sexually abused or verbally abused. You know, it was just losing a friend. But in my world, she was like everything. You know, I saw her every day. We'd hang out. So, you know, just losing that person in my life really affected me. It was traumatic for me. And, you know, it took me a long time to get over that and you know it's like I said it shaped my personality you know I'm much I'd say less shy than I am than I was but I'm still shy and you know if that didn't happen I could you know have a slightly different personality right now but yeah I think it's so important like you said just to have the open communication you know I don't have kids but I would imagine that you, you know, would just be checking in on them, trying to just establish that trust that they can come to you if they're feeling down, can come to you if they're having a fight with their friend, whatever their needs are that they feel comfortable and trust you to come to you. Yeah. 
No, that's definitely, that's definitely one of the biggest takeaways too. Like it doesn't matter where you are in life and just find people that will listen to you and someone that you can trust. You know, it can be a, a stranger you meet in a coffee shop that becomes your best friend. You just never know. Those people do exist. You're looking for someone and they're looking for you. So it's like you said, it's a, it's, it's a two-way street. You know what I mean? You're going to find someone that you can trust and you can have the relationship, that open communication and help one another because we all need something, (laughs) you know, whether it is just have someone to talk to or just have someone you can, you know, call in the middle of the day and be like, Hey, how's it going? Have a good day. That's it. Just make their day, make them smile, whatever it is. There's always something you can give and there's always something you can receive from someone else. So well, Lisa, this has been an absolute pleasure, my love. I am just so excited that we got to uh, record this interview and I am just like in awe of how much you've accomplished and trying to figure out a better way, trying to figure out ways you can give back to your community, especially with functional medicine. So I love surrounding myself with other pharmacists who are stepping into functional medicine space because together we are creating the movement and having you next to me. It means a lot. So thank you for spending the time with me. And before we wrap up, if you can just tell our listeners where they can get hold of you, work with you, where they can find you. And of course, we'll put all these in the show notes as well too. Sure. It was my pleasure, Christine. So the best way to get a hold of me, I would say as far as social media, I'm on Instagram. So I have two handles. One is focused purely on my mental health journey and resources. That is the mindful pharmacist and pharmacist is F-A-R-M. And then my other one is for my business, Root Cause Rx. And then I'm also on LinkedIn. Perfect. We'll definitely put this on a show notes. And if, if you don't mind, if you can just also provide us the uh, link for your community for NAMI. So that way we can also provide some resource for everyone who's listening, whether they're in their area or maybe there's just like a directory, we can provide some resources for our audience because again, together we're trying to get the word out and help as many people as we can. And if you're listening, if you need to get hold of Lisa, please don't be shy. Please reach out. She's wealth of knowledge and what she's creating is going to change someone's life. And I know for sure it will. And learning constantly from one another too. I mean, I learned so much about just having this one hour conversation with you and having a different perspective in life too, because sometimes we take things so granite because we have not been in your shoes. We have not been in the shoes of someone who's going through this life on trauma and transformation. So thank you for being vulnerable. Thank you for being on the podcast and yes, together, let's get rid of the stigma of, you know, owning your story and it is, it is time to move forward. So thanks Mela for being on the podcast. You're welcome. The more people that share, the less stigma we'll have. Yes, we will. (laughs) Have an incredible rest of your day and we'll talk soon. Thank you so much for investing your time with me on the story podcast. I am so grateful for your support and hope you feel empowered and inspired to give yourself permission to rewrite your story and become the best version of yourself. If you love this episode as much as I did, please take a moment, screenshot and share on Instagram. Don't forget to tag me at Dr. Christine Manukian so I can personally thank you and welcome you to our community. You never know who needs to hear this episode right now. 
And I would be so appreciative if you would head over to iTunes, press subscribe, and leave a five-star review of the show. This way, together, we will expand our community and reach and empower more women. If you want to meet real-life Wonder Woman, let's connect on my Instagram at Dr. Christine Manukian or my website, drchristinemanukian.com. To be featured as my guest, please email me at drchristine at story.co. Until next time, live with passion.